Welcome to Gospel and Grit. We invite you to the front lines of the gospel where our Overland missionaries are pioneering to remote peoples. Our goal is to empower you to grab the gospel and get the grit to do whatever it takes to fulfill your calling in Christ. Welcome to a Gospel and Grit podcast here from Rapid 14 Base in the, the heart of Revival Week. We've had some phenomenal uh, revelations, some time with the, the Lord in worship. It's just always good to be in community here. I think you can check out our, I think they're on YouTube. So if you look that up, that'd be cool. Um, today I have the honor of having one of my favorite teachers, mentors, friends, Arthur Pinar. Yeah, Pinar. <laughs> Pinar uh, with us. And I am excited uh, to have him with us. And so I know there's one subject I can definitely get you talking. Uh, he's one of those wise ones that's figured out not to talk all the time. <laughs> but when he does open his mouth, it's always beautiful revelation. Uh, you taught my gospel identity yeah. uh, class back when I did AMT in 2013. Sure. Gave me amazing new perspective and just the depth of how beautiful the gospel is. Yeah. So I just want to start out with this simple question. Arthur, what is the gospel? Uh, the gospel, I mean, I, I always thought the gospel is like the message that helps get people saved, get them mm. from not going to hell. Like Jake was saying this morning, you know, some people think it's a golden ticket that like this is how I escape hell, you know. But, you know, when I, when I read 2, Th- 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 14, and it says, well, and this is the purpose for preaching the gospel, that we may share the glory of God. Mm. I mean, the, I remember the first couple of times I read that, it's like, what? Share the glory of God? I don't get it. And I never really understood the full meaning of it until I read John 17 in Jesus' high priestly prayer. And in the beginning, he was referring to the glory that he had with the Father in the beginning meaning before he laid down his glory to become the son to God, Mm. before he laid down his glory to be the son of man, and even laid it down further as he became Jesus and was tempted in every way. The very glory that he had as an equal member of the Godhead, he said, well, that glory that that we've had from the beginning, I've given it to them that they may be one, even as we are one. You know, and and then the essence of God's glory is that he's good. You know, when, when Moses asked God, you know, show me your glory, he said, I will cause all of my goodness to pass before you. And so I just got this picture of how God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they are they're the essence of goodness. I mean, until new creation, they were the only good in the entire universe. Mm. I mean, when they talk, spoke to Jesus and said, good teacher, he said, whoa, 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 why do you call me good? Do you know that I'm good as in the son of god or don't you understand what good really means and so now we are good Hmm. you know because of new creation and the only way that we could have fellowship with god i mean the whole intention why god created us was so that we can have this very intimate fellowship with him like what adam and eve had in the garden they would walk together and have fellowship every day because they god's glory i believe was their covering 
And so through sin, we lost all of that. And then Jesus' plan was, you know what, we're going to restore them back better than original creation. And the way that we're going to do that is we're going to give them our glory. Because if we do that, then we can be one. And, and, and the, the solution for the sin problem is to become united with him. Mm. And yes, we become united with him in, 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 our, in, in, in Jesus becoming sin. He was made sin with our sin. So when we are united with him in his death and burial, we shall also be united with him in his resurrection. And I believe that's when we receive his glory, when we receive our new creation, our new identity. So the gospel for me is is really bringing God's people back. You know, it's it. I always thought that God the Father is the one that's angry with us, and Jesus is the one that says, "No, no, don't be angry. I'll yeah. pay for all their <laughs> sins and I'll reconcile everything." But it says it was God in Christ reconciling the world back to Himself, and it was God who gave. He says, "The love that you have given me." Well, He said He entrusted all of us to Jesus. And then the love that you have for me, I have given it to them in John 17, 27. So it's like the Father was the orchestrator. He's always always been part. I, don't, I think it's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They have one plan, yeah. one mind, one idea, mm-hmm. perfect unity. So all of them were working together to kind of make it work. And so when I think about the gospel and the purposes of the gospel, you know, it's like God saying, you know, I created you for, for intimacy, Intimacy that you cannot have only physically. It is spiritual intimacy. It is a a greater level of intimacy that we don't know. I mean, like God discerns our thoughts from afar. Mm. That's intimacy. I mean, you can be intimate with your wife, but you still can't read her mind. Never. But the Lord, (laughs) don't even try. (laughs) But the Lord discerns our thoughts from afar because he's that interested in us. And so it kind of gives a heart for this is what he is restoring us back into. And the whole purpose of the gospel is to bring us back Mm. to his original design for us, which is perfect unity, absolute intimacy with him. And... And, and for, for him to do that, he gives us his goodness. He gives us his glory, which doesn't mean we become the fourth member of the, of the Godhead. We are actually one with the third member. We are one in Christ. Yeah. So that's how we sit in heavenly places to, next to the right hand of God, because Jesus is sitting there and we are in him. And so to me, that's, that's what the gospel is about. We obviously work in rural ministry, working yeah. with uh, people who often have never heard the gospel yeah. story. So uh, a lot of what you said was very theological and yeah. the, the oneness. And So how would you explain that to someone that has never heard the gospel? How would you present the gospel? Where do you start? Well, I normally start by saying, you know, so, so why do you think God created you? You know, um, do you think I would, I would, for example, say so, so, if you think, and a lot of time when I ask people, why did God create you? They will say, you know, yeah, we have to pray and, and we have to go to church and we have to do ministry and worship Him and stuff. And then I say, you know, so if that was the original idea why God created man, then why did Adam and Eve not go to church or <laughs> yeah. have a Bible to read or pray? Mm. You know, they didn't do any of those things. All that they did was they had fellowship with God. Yeah. And so the reason why we do that is because God created us for love. He is love, and, and all love comes from Him. 
even the love that we, that that people who hate God have for one another, that love still comes from Him. He's the source of all love. And the reason why he created us is I believe that God has a need. God had a need for greater expression of his love. He is love. And the way he expressed his love, between, the way it's expressed between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit was not satisfying his heart. I believe he wanted greater expression. Hmm. And the only way he could do that, because the only kind of love that satisfies the heart of God is his kind of love. And so he had to make us in his image so that we can fully receive the love of God, but we also able to re- express it back and give it back in return, reciprocate the love that he has for us to him. Mm-hmm. And, so, and so that's why God created us. And so becoming one with him, it just means to become in fellowship with him, to become, to, to be reconciled to a place where you know that the person sitting in front of me loves me more than I could ever be loved before. And that's the reason why God created us. He's almighty. He doesn't need us to do anything for Him. We, the only reason why we do things for Him is because we first sons. You are first a son before you be a servant. And that's why Christianity cannot be defined as a religion. Because in religion, you perform for acceptance. In Christianity, we are first accepted, and then we perform. Yeah, so... Uh with his, his desire to love us, we always say that Jesus died on the cross yeah. for us because he loves us. Yes. How does Jesus dying on the cross restore us to sonship? Yeah. You know, firstly, I was thinking about, you know, when Jesus died on the cross, you know, it was, it was his opportunity to demonstrate for us how much he loved us. Mm. I think, you know, when God said, you know, we're going to make man in our image and for them to be able to love us, they need a free will. But if we give them a free will, they're going to be free to disobey and and, and then mess everything up because we are holy. And in us, we are like there's no darkness in us and we're separated from sinners. So if they sin and we're going to be separated, then what? He says, well, that's a great opportunity because we have to earn their love. We have to show them who we are, and then they will love us back. So what greater way to demonstrate our love for them in that while they were still sinners, while they're doing everything wrong, we're going to love them because we're good. Not because their behavior is good, but because we're good. Mm. And then they're going to see who we really are. And then that's how we're going to make them sons. We're going to show them that the reason why they're sons and why they're worthy to be sons is because of who the Father is. So there are our, a son's identity always comes from the Father. Yeah. So, so I believe that's why sonship is so important. And that's why the, Jesus demonstrated um, what it means to be a son. And you know, and the son only lived to do the will of the Father. But his motive for doing the will of the Father was not so that the Father would be pleased with him. I mean... When Jesus, before he started his ministry, the Lord, Father said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. That is before ministry began. Yeah, yeah. He hadn't done one miracle. Mm-hmm. He hadn't healed one sick person. He'd done nothing. And it is because he was completely loved. Then he went and he only did the will of the Father. So, you know, 
in the in the revival meetings we've been hearing about obedience is how we demonstrate our love to God. That's exactly Jesus's model. He mm. says because the Father loved him, he went and he only did the will of the Father because he loved the Father. Yeah. And he gave us the way how we're going to serve God and how to to love him. So what is the identity of a son of God? How do we what is that that we receive from him? You know, you know if we if we listen to to how we got saved, you know, um, we we kind of think that our identity is what we produced, but our identity is created by by who God created us to be. Mm-hmm. You know, Ephesians two verse eight to ten says, "For by grace we have been saved through faith, and is not our own doing; it is a gift of God, and is not by work, so that anyone can boast. We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works." You know, I don't think we know our identity until we discover who He is. Because Jesus is the seed that died. And whatever you sow, you reap. He was the firstborn amongst many righteous. So our identity is locked in who Jesus is. And until we become united with Him in His resurrection, we really don't know who we are. And so that's what we have to discover. So I don't think we can really know our identity until we know who He is. And, and, And to me... That's what all of Christianity is about. You know, I believe that identity is the key to transformation. And just by believing who Jesus says we are, that's how we become transformed. You know, um, be no longer conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Mm-hmm. Our minds get renewed when we are no longer conformed to thinking, well, this is what the world says about you. This is, this is your personality. Your personality was formed when you were five years old. This is what you're stuck with for the rest of your life. Now, that's being conformed to the pattern of this world. But we need to be transformed by the renewal of our mind. And I mean, in Romans 12 verse 1, it actually says how that happens. You know, it happens through spiritual worship, which is when we yield our bodies as a living sacrifice unto God. When we say, Jesus, you are my Lord, I'll no longer do what I want, I'll do what you want. Mm. Another way of describing that is when we are led by the Spirit. So when we are led by the Spirit, He is the Spirit of truth, He will lead us into all truth. And so when we are led by the Spirit, that is when our mind gets renewed. Because, oh, I thought things worked this way. Oh, no, no, the Spirit says, not like that, like this. Okay, so now I've seen this is how God works. I believe it is when we are in Christ, when we are led by the Spirit, that's when we have the mind of Christ. Like 1 Corinthians 2.16, we have the mind of Christ. Well, I don't always know what He wants. Yeah, because you're not in Him. When you're in the flesh, your carnal thoughts is hostile to God. Mm. When you're in the Spirit, you have the mind of Christ. And so all of our identity is about living by the Spirit and discovering who he says we are and 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 I think when we when we see Christ as he really is that's when we are being transformed into his likeness and our identity is hidden until we see Christ for who he really is mm-hmm. i mean even the ministry of reconciliation if i'm not fully reconciled with god how can i be an ambassador or a minister of reconciliation to others we first need to be reconciled back into our original image of who God, how God sees us. And then we can able, be able to represent Him. And only the measure in which we know God can we reconcile others too. If I see God the Father as a harsh taskmaster, then that's the only way I can reconcile. I can only reconcile people to this harsh God because that's how I know Him. Mm-hmm. So I have to become like Him. I have to fully know Him and represent Him. And in the measure that I know God, in that same measure, I can reconcile him accurately 
to the nations. That's yeah. so good. I love verses. Or it's so frequently in the New Testament will give these identity ideas. You know, you are a new creation. Uh, we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And then immediately following it is you are now an ambassador or to declare his excellencies to all nations. So how does how does knowing our identity in Christ, grabbing a hold of this gospel message, being transformed in that, translate into the mission field? Yeah. Well, you know, people don't read their Bibles, they read you. So you can go and preach the most amazing message to them, but they're going to watch you. Mm. And if you don't model and do what you say, well, then your words is going to have no effect. You know, it's the it was it Francis from Azuzi that says, go into all the word, preach the gospel by any means and every means and if necessary use words and i think our lives are what is the most powerful message of the gospel and so if we we have to live it first we have to demonstrate who christ is more than our words Mm. our words should confirm what they see when they look at us Mm. so i believe that's the most important part of preaching the gospel is about modeling what christ is is that not the example that christ set when he was on the earth he only lived to do the will of the Father. He, he, he basically told them. We know when he, when he, knowing who, knowing who he was. You know, he had that identity. Like because he knew where he came from and who he was, he removed his outer cloak, put a towel around his waist, and started washing his disciples' feet. And even though they objected about the whole idea, no, you can't do that, you Christ. And he says, you know what? I have, I'm doing this to see, give you an example so that you can follow my example. And so he really, his whole life was an example for us to follow. And I believe that's the best way we can preach the gospel and evangelize is by living the life. Yeah. Yeah. And preaching. Yes. Always. Yes. But our words are confirmed by our deeds. Yeah. You you can't just preach and not do what you say. You have to model it, which means it's, it's saying and doing. Yeah. You talked about being spirit led. Yes. Uh, How does one begin to be spirit-led you know i it 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 sounds so simple and you know when we when we get into worship you know i think when you worship that's a good way to to start focusing on the spirit you know but we're supposed to pray continually we used to we're supposed to blend constant communion with god so we're never supposed to reach a place where we say okay i'm done for the day i'm no longer led by the spirit so to be I think what it's to me it's a posture. If I walk around saying, Lord, I live to do your will and my prayer is not my will but your will be done and I want to do your will your way. If I go through my day with that mindset that I just want to do your will and whatever is in front of me, whatever decision I have to make, I'm gonna consider what would you have me do? Because that's what it means if Jesus is your Lord. It means that you, even though you are in control of your life, it's like being in a vehicle. The Lord won't take the steering of the, of the vehicle of your life and go and drive it where He wants. But He will be the co-pilot. So he will, he will be the one who knows where you need to go. And He will be in charge, but He can never be in control. So if you ask Him, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? When I'm faced with a decision, what is your will for my life in this situation? What do you want? Then we are led by the Spirit. But you know, the one thing that, that hinders us most, you know, if we perfectly knew what the will of God was at any moment of the day, 
I think it wouldn't be difficult for us necessarily to to be led by the Spirit. You know, I mean, it's sometimes difficult to do what the Lord asks because of the flesh. But I think a lot of times is that our mind that has been conformed to the pattern of this world is so used to wanting to be in control. The pattern of this world is our mind defaults by, you know, I'll do what I think is best. And for us not to do that, we have to be able to continuously recognize and hear the voice of God. And we all can. Everybody can hear the voice of God. The problem is not whether or not we hear the voice of God. It is whether we we can discern His voice when there's noise. When the noise could be, my circumstances are shouting so loud. My family or my work or other people are putting such demands on me that it's creating all of this noise and it's difficult for me to discern well, I know what everybody else is expecting me to do, but what is God saying? Mm. You know, and you kind of have to get to that point of being peaceful to discern what is the Lord saying in this situation, and then I'll do what He says. So, our 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 soul is the one that needs to submit to our spirit. You know, our spirit has been made perfect, but we still have the command center of our will, and if left unchecked, our soul which is the flesh, renewed and unrenewed thoughts, will want to take control. Mm. And so I need to allow my spirit, has to, my, my soul has to submit to my spirit. And that's what happened when we worship. Mm. During worship, we are spirit-led and we our soul comes into submission to our spirit and then we know how to be led by the spirit. We feel the presence of the Lord. But if we allow circumstances, you know, it's like Peter walking on the water. He kept his eyes on Jesus. He was fine. He was walking on the water. But when circumstances arose, the waves became really big. He said, what am I doing, a mere man walking on the water? And he started sinking, you know. (laughs) That is just noise that happened. It took his focus off of Jesus. And so we have to learn how to submit our soul to our spirit so that we are continuously led by the spirit. And and that isn't that easy. <laughs> I think if we have to give a percentage at the end of every day. So how many how many of of these sixteen hours that I was awake, how many of those hours were was I really spirit led? Mm. You know, was I spirit led fifty percent of the time? <laughs> Jeez, I wish. I think we have to go for a hundred percent. But we have to continually be aware. You know. At what point of the day did I start taking the, back the reins? That I say, well, I'm sorry, co-pilot, Jesus, Holy Spirit, I'm just, I just need to get through this day. So I'm, when it comes to these things, they're not spiritual things. I'm taking the wheel. I'm going to mm. drive this vehicle of my life where I want to go. And when are we going to say, Lord, you know, I trust you with everything. Even the things that I think I know better, I'm going to trust you with that. Yeah, I don't think it's... For me, it's that's the challenge. Yeah. I think if we could, if we could be led by the Spirit twenty four seven, that means I will be abiding in Christ twenty four seven. And if I abide in Christ, I will bear much fruit by which the Father is glorified. Yeah. And I believe the most powerful weapon in warfare is the fruit of the Spirit more than the gifts of the Spirit. Because if the devil comes with with brings anxiety and frustration and and negativity and all those things, yeah, I just need to practice peace. I already have it as a gift. I just have to practice it. So if I abide in Him, then the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. Well, there we go. Frustration goes, negativity goes, and all those things. Because 
There's no frustration in heaven. There's no negativity in heaven. I mean, is Jesus ever frustrated? Is Jesus ever get anxious? Which means that when I'm experiencing frustration or anxiousness or nervousness or anger, I'm in the flesh. Mm -hmm. Because in the spirit, the fruit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness. There's none of those things. So when I'm experiencing that, it means that my, my soul, my unrenewed thinking, is actually dominating my behavior. And, I'm my, my, and my soul is no longer submitted to my spirit, which is in submission to the Holy Spirit. Mm. So when I see any of those negative behaviors, I'm actually practicing things that Jesus Christ already paid a price for. Colossians 2 verse 14 says that he nailed not just our sins, but, but every written decree that was written against us, which means all the consequences of our sinful nature. Jesus took all of that and nailed it to the cross. Mm-hmm. So he totally destroyed negativity, anger, frustration, anxiety, all those things. And if I start practicing those things, if I start participating or partnering with those emotions, I'm actually taking back Jesus' stuff because everything that was wrong with, with me, he actually paid the price for that. Mm-hmm. With his own blood, he died to destroy all of that. So if I'm taking it back, I'm actually taking back Jesus' stuff. And he gave me his stuff, his, his, his new, new nature, by which I can experience love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all those things. That's his stuff. Mm-hmm. So... I need to give him back his stuff, you know, that he paid for, yeah. everything that is negative that you don't find in heaven. And I need to start practicing the stuff that I have in him, which is the fruit of the Spirit. That's so good. And really, I love it. In your practice of that, there is so much text there. There's so much of the scripture there. Yeah. Like, how, how important is it to hold on to the text in this identity transformation I think it is probably the most important part. You know, um, I think through through the Word of God, not just reading it, you know, not reading it as in for information, but if you read the Word of God and saying, Lord, this is your Word. Make it truth to me. Show me how to apply this in my life. Give me revelation knowledge. Show me areas in my life where I need to apply these principles, where I need to partner with this kind of way of thinking. I believe that is how we get transformed more than anything else. And so the Word of God, I mean, you know, it is, I think it's 2 Peter 1 verse 3 that says, God has given us these precious and magnificent promises that by these we become partakers of the divine nature. So, you know, Pastor Mark has been talking about, you know, we, we, we need to start living in the divine. Yeah. Because that's who Jesus Christ purchased us, has, has enabled us to be. And we do that by practicing the divine, the, the, well, we practice the divine nature by participating with these precious and magnificent promises, which is in the word of God. Mm-hmm. But it's not just one thing to know that they are there and that they are true. I have to, you know, faith without works of faith means nothing. Mm-hmm. So I need to practice those principles. Yeah. So the Word of God is so important. I believe it's the, it's the tool the Holy Spirit uses more than anything to bring transformation in our lives. So we need to know it. We need to eat it. Like Courtney was saying, you know, it's, it, you eat it when you, when you read it and you have a sensation of, wow, this really ministered to me. You have like an encounter with it. Because 
any transformation requires an encounter, but also a process of applying that encounter, mm-hmm. not just knowing the truth, but 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 also practicing the truth. You know, although we live by the Spirit, we have to walk by the Spirit. Mm. So the one isn't just automatic after the first one. You know. Yeah, that's that's key. With you know, so often, people will love Jesus. They they want to serve Him, but they don't feel. You know, the Spirit leader. They don't feel like they are a new creation. They don't feel like they are the righteousness of Christ. Yes. So. How does one begin to to get to that point where they know that that's where they are? Like yeah. that's really it. You know, there's in in your spiritual walk, there'll always be time of hiddenness and at times of manifestation. Mm. In the times of hiddenness, you don't feel the Lord's presence. You know, when you just become born again, you almost go on like a honeymoon phase with the Lord, <laughs> where His presence is so real and you feel so close to Him. But just like, you know, you can't be a baby for the rest of your life. You know, you have to be weaned of the experience of God's presence where you walk by faith, Mm. where you know that it is true and the Lord is with you even when you don't feel His presence. And that's why the Word of God is so important because it's true even if I experience it or I can feel it or not because we can't interpret the Word of God by our experiences we have to interpret our experiences by the Word of God so yeah I mean it is whether you feel it or not doesn't change the truth yeah and so the Word of God really helps with that I, I I think we have to we we need to spend a lot more time in reading the Word of God but not just reading it reading it interactively with the Holy Spirit illuminating it. He's Mm. the one who inspired the Word. So which means unless He illuminates it when I'm reading it, I don't get what He wants to convey when He inspired it in the first place. I mean, He can give me, He can illuminate five different aspects of the same Scripture. Every time I read it, I can get another portion of the same truth because that's just how brilliant He is. Yeah, where the spirit of the truth is, there's liberty. Yes. It's beautiful. Yeah. Awesome. I'm sure we'll have many more talks, Arthur. Yeah. It's, we were just talking about, we, somehow we always end up on this subject. Yeah, it's inevitable. Every, it's inevitable. <laughs> every time we start preaching, it's like, I want to preach on peace. Gospel of identity. Yeah. You know, it's like every time you turn it around, because it's so core and important. Yeah. To our lives. Oh, well, it's my message. Can't get away from your message. <laughs> yes, right. Yes, thank you so much. Uh, You're welcome. You're amazing. Amazing. We're honored to have you in our organization and in the body of Christ. Uh, thank you. Thanks, Jesse. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Gospel of Grit. All of us here at Overland Missions would like you to know that we believe in you there's a place for you in our organization. Your first step towards changing nations is to visit overlandmissions.com. 